When you know what you want for the future, you need the present to line up with your goals. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs in healthcare, engineering, criminal justice, and more. So you can get to your future and beyond. From the University of Central Florida Center for Distributed Learning and the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning, I'm Tom Cavanaugh. And I'm Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hi, Kelvin. Hey, Tom. How are you? It's nice to see you um, virtually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. My last remote recording in the Florida room in Florida. <laughs> yeah. So for those who may not be uh, watching this, um, I'll describe that... If you have seen any of our videos, the, the Kelvin's background has been fairly consistent um, when we've done sort of these remote at home sort of recordings, but it looks different now. The, uh, the Florida room is uh, a little sparse as you mm -hmm. are preparing to make your, your move north. And uh, notice ye old wooden folding chair of Jan grassy knoll outside of the Digital Learning Center in the background. Okay. <laughs> Preparing to cool. make its trip. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you have, you know, many grassy knoll conversations in Kentucky. There are plenty of grassy knolls uh, up there in horse country. Yeah. Uh, the grass being blue, I'm led to believe. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I don't know that yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Kelvin, I see you sipping. Um, and I have I have something here myself. So so, you know, so tell us what you're friends. drinking there, Tom. What I'm drinking? Yes, well, I've gone with drinking. one of my standards. Uh, I've got my um, San Francisco Bay Fog Chaser oh, with yes. uh -huh. the more environmentally friendly pods. But it also is. Uh, I think it's a good cup of coffee. So we are back to the BYOCC version of the podcast, Tom. You know, that's bring your own coffee and connection. So in addition to your coffee, do you have a connection to share? Well, I, I mean, I could, I could make a, a, you know, a very strained connection. Um, mm. <laughs> but I'd probably give away what we're talking about today. Mm. Um, but of course, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I don't mm -hmm. know, I could, I could make an attempt, but maybe I don't know, maybe I should wait until until after you do your more formal, thoughtful connection. Yes, strained connections are my purview, Tom, not yours. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about uh, in in my uh, U of L coffee cup today is a single origin Honduras from I kind of like the name Yes Please Coffee <laughs> in Yes Please in Los Angeles, California, and I thought this coffee would be appropriate for today's episode for two reasons. First, the roasters say, "quote." we believe great coffee should be for everyone, unquote. And second, these roasters emphasize multiple tiers of quality in sourcing the coffee beans, selecting the coffee beans, and shipping the coffee beans right to individuals' homes so that there's excellence in the cup um, right, with their, right after their fr fresh roasting. So could you, and the coffee's quite good here, I'm sure yours is delectable for you, but could you find a connection in my coffee cup to today's topic? 
Um, well, you made you made uh, reference to sort of multiple sources. That mm -hmm. that seems like it's a bit of a clue to me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, obviously, quality you, mm -hmm. that was a, a key word in there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those two things might be um, might be might be part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, did you did you say something about? Did you say something about equitable? Yeah, for everyone. For everyone. For everyone. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So yeah, I think those are maybe the that's the triad of connection I'm seeing there. Yeah. Potentially. That's what I was. That's what I was shooting for. Okay. So, point three from the German judge as always. <laughs> that's right. Cool. I don't really have a connection for mine. I could make something up, but it would okay, just be that's dumb. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm happy I'm happy to to to, to offer up a, a tenuous connection. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm used to it. <laughs> it's, all, it's all it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. So do you, do you want me to kind of sure. uh, explain how my triad of of connection yeah. points fits to what we're talking about today. Please do. So, Kelvin, recently you interviewed our colleague and friend, Dr. Tanya Justin. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Justin's name is probably familiar to many of our TopCast listeners because uh, mm -hmm. she's been a guest previously. She was a guest back in season two, episode number 15. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's not familiar with Tanya, um, Dr. Justin is a senior scientist and Director of Digital Learning Research and Development at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where she also serves as advisor to the Provost for Innovation Projects. Tanya is a highly regarded uh, scholar and speaker, and she is quite active, as we all know, in all of the U.S. online education professional associations. In recent years, she is probably most well-known as the Principal Investigator and Executive Director of the National Research Center for Distance Education and Technological Advancements, DETA, or as they pronounce it, DATA. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you'll get into some of that in your mm -hmm. conversation mm -hmm. with her. I will say this just on a personal note, <clears throat> you know, as a friend, Tanya, she was one of the first people who really um, modeled like social media use mm -hmm. for me. She's even written a book on social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the use of like Twitter, she mm -hmm. was she was into it way before I ever really kind of even mm -hmm. like had a Twitter account. And I even went to a conference one time where she had a tweet up and I mm -hmm. went. That was like my first one. So yeah, I learned a lot from her <laughs> on a lot of fronts, not just right. in you know digital learning research areas. Yeah, agreed. Tanya's great. Um, treasured colleague for sure. Um, well, you ready to cut us to the interview? I won't. I won't give away any more of it from uh, from here. All right. So, um, with no further ado, through the magic of podcast time travel, here is your interview with Dr. Tanya Chuston. Hi, Tanya. Welcome to Topcast. So good to have you back. Well, thanks for having me again. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good the first time. We'll we'll, we'll do it a second time. It's been a while. It has. It has. And uh, if listeners uh, haven't heard the earlier uh, episode, we talked about your uh, Social Media for Educators book in that prior episode, and people should go listen to that, and they should go buy the book if they if they haven't already. Yeah, it's uh, it's made a little bit of a resurgence with. Um, 
COVID and the move to social media and folks seeking out ways to have more social interaction and engagement amongst mm-hmm. their students and, and just with themselves professionally. So you could buy a used version online for probably five bucks. So they can go at it. There you go. But what we didn't talk about on uh, Mike uh, last time that we really are, are really long overdue uh, uh, to do at this point while we've given the occasional shout out on the podcast is we haven't really featured your work with data uh, either, either, either homophonic uh, usage of, 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 that, yeah. of that word, right? So um, why don't, maybe why don't you talk about both uses of, of data? Sure. <laughs> Um, So data is what we call um, the research center that we launched in 2014. And so as Calvin knows, and for the listeners out there, and so it's the National Research Center for Distance Education and Technological Advancements. And because that's a mouthful, um, but that was sort of uh, what was written by Congress and the appropriation of the funding for the center, we just sort of kept it, but we kept it for Um, Another reason as well, because the acronym is D-E-T-A, we were sort of thinking of Star Trek and we were like, we could just call it the data center. Like, and we do awesome things with data and data is cool. So um, with the acronym D-E-T-A, it's become more commonly known as data or the data research center, which may be very confusing for some (laughs) folks as to, is this research center really just the data center? Um, because everyone on their campus, I'm sure, has a quote-unquote data center, um, but that's just sort of what we've been calling it. And then we get to have these conversations like this about the acronym and the name, and so maybe it uh, holds a little bit longer in, in folks' minds. <laughs> no, I think I think that's I think that's great historical nugget and context. And as you know, I mean, I've been excited about your center since uh, since you got the funding, and I uh, thought it was such a great. Uh, idea to have kind of a, I don't know, I think maybe we talked about way back then, kind of a kind of a centralized national clearinghouse for for findings uh, across the, the, the field. Uh, so I think it'd be great, I mean, this many years into it, just to, you know, kind of zoom out a little bit and um, what what have you what have you learned about the field having <laughs> having done this this uh, national research center for eight years? It's funny, as you say that, I'm thinking like, oh, we probably should like come up with a decade report or something to talk about, you know, to aggregate sort of all of the information we've been sharing and so forth. So I'll add that on my to-do list of um, five million other things I will never get to, but hopefully I will. Um, So, yeah, so uh, and I know, Kelvin, you and some of your colleagues as well were part of our first national summit we uh, held at the Educause Learning Initiative after receiving the funding. And so what we really wanted it to be was a national effort and a collaborative effort. And part of that is bringing together different folks from across the country that we knew were doing amazing work and had some really key insights to help us develop that national agenda. Um, And with that national agenda, it was things just around um, how are we defining things? What are the problems that we should be solving or questions we should be pursuing through our research? Um, What are different phenomena or concepts and constructs we should be um, looking to explore? How do we measure those? You know, getting in some of the specifics of the instruments, which led to 
after um, you know uh, months and months of work, the data research toolkit. And most recently, we received additional funding from WCET and the Every Learner Everywhere Network to produce, I say recently, and actually it was probably almost two years ago, but you know, pandemic time, everything's a blur. Um, So we were able to launch a second version of that um, in late 2000 or 2021. And uh, it's been really great because we've been able to build on it um, to the point where there's guides to research um, in different methodologies with different paradigmatic approaches. There's all sorts of instrumentation and surveys and so forth to help people um, get started with research. And there's different sort of research models or research designs that folks can use to implement on their own campus to explore different phenomena or to understand the efficacy or identify factors that are gonna influence student success. And we're really, you know, when we did the data research toolkit, it was because like one of the challenges we found, first we wanted to share out sort of this national vision that yourself and all of our colleagues came together to sort of formulize. But then also we just realized that people, a lot of people have problems doing research in this area. So Mm -hmm. I'm from the field of communication. I speak a somewhat different language than other Mm -hmm. folks do coming in as a social scientist. Mm -hmm. Um, And folks are coming with different um, academic and scholarly backgrounds. Some folks are coming without academic or scholarly backgrounds at all and looking to better understand, you know, what research can be conducted in order to improve practices or what are we doing out there operationally and in our units that could be informing research, sort of that research to practice to research. Mm -hmm. And so the data research toolkit sort of ended up being somewhat of a how-to, but with lots of other good stuff in it and sort of a toolbox of instruments. And so now the data research toolkit has been, you know, we thought 50 people were gonna download it. We've had thousands of people all over the world. I think we're at like 35 countries, every state of the US. Um, And we've been around, um, you know, nationally and internationally sharing that um, toolkit. And so it's available for everyone at dataresearch.org. And so that was one key thing. And we're so lucky to have the funding to put out another one. We're working on a third version of that. Um, which we're hoping will be, we're hoping it'll be more like um, an ebook um, than with an associated sort of interactive toolkit with it. Um, again, on my list of five million things I would like to do. But the main thing that it helped us do is really create this common language, right? So that research could be conducted cross um, institutionally. Um, we did have uh, grants, sub grants awards, and so we have pockets of research at different. Um, programs throughout the country, different institutions. But our vision was to be able to aggregate data across institutions um, and use that data to identify factors that influence student access and success and that, um, you know, were more generalizable. And so that, you know, it would help us really answer these key questions to improve our practices. And, um, you know, we just ran into a lot of barriers with that, but we still had some success in what we were able to forge through. And as we were talking before the show, you know, one of those challenges is um, sort of uncertainty around data. Mm -hmm. What can we share? What can we not share? Folks not necessarily understanding Mm -hmm. IRB or not understanding FERPA. 
um, and those sorts of things. And so people tend to build up, you know, prisons around their data and not share that, even though, you know, of course, our we had national IRB approval for all of our studies. Everything was within FERPA guidelines. All of the data we were receiving was anonymized and, and all of those good things. But um, uh, that was a big challenge that we had run into. <laughs> yeah, no, that, those, are, uh, those are a lot of a, a lot of milestones along the way over the last eight years, and I, I think I think a, a ten-year retrospective is a probably good idea. Right. You, you start now, maybe it'll be done. In, there we in, go. Uh, I have to schedule a few hours time. a month. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. You mentioned um, the pandemic and the re and the pandemic response. I, I wonder, uh, from your perspective within the work of data, what kind of impact has the sort of the, the ripples from the COVID era uh, made on the, the work that you do through the center? Yeah, so I think it definitely um, put emphasis on work that we always felt were important, but not necessarily, you know, the entire country. And so you know, we had received actually responses to a lot of our grant funding um, that were not, you know, they weren't requests for proposals specific to online. And a lot of the responses were, we shouldn't be investing in online learning. Um, you know, this is not an important area. I actually got grant feedback like a week before the pandemic and like, why would we fund this on distance education? Uh, and so it was like, well, because this was the future and it got here a little quicker. Um, we did have cross-institutional research we had been doing on what we call instructional characteristics. So characteristics mm -hmm. more or less about teaching and instruction and learning um, that influences mm -hmm. student outcomes. You were part of developing that instrumentation around quality indicators. We incorporated lots of the different quality tools that were out here across the nation for, I guess, almost 20 years now, when you think of the original development of the research around quality matters mm -hmm. and the Cal State University Chico rubric. Mm -hmm. And so all of that was sort of blended into that instrument to help us better understand mm -hmm. students' experience about the instruction, you know, the course structure, but also about their experiences interacting in the course and and identifying statistically through regression analysis, you know, what factors were actually influencing student outcomes. And we developed what's called the quality indicators. It was an infographic, um, a one page infographic that actually is like an accumulation of like 250 pages of research. Mm -hmm. um, but that became amazingly popular. Um, and so our study was in the online learning journal in 2019. Um, the infographic, again, it's all available on our website at dataresearch.org and our publications. But just having those eight indicators for folks that were new to trying to figure out this remote instruction, online blended learning thing was something very consumable and that folks, you know, all over the world mm -hmm. were really excited to see. So beyond sort of that, how do we have quality and blended online piece? I think there were two other things that really were important. Not only was a pandemic happening, right? We had a resurgence and fighting for social justice mm -hmm. um, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. that, um, you know, regained 
energy um, because of the awful deaths, um, you know, to folks in our community. And so although data's mission has always been around access and equity with our research, specifically looking at traditionally underrepresented groups, racially minoritized students, poverty affected first generation, students with disabilities and impairments, which the research I just mentioned about quality, we also disaggregated the data and we did analysis of variance, um, MANOVA studies looking at um, differences between the groups. And we found that not only were these quality indicators as a whole um, predictive of student outcomes, but when we disaggregated the data um, and just look at like racially minoritized students, we also found out that those indicators work to predict outcomes for that group of mm -hmm. students as well. And that's super important. And the research before sort of never, again, like people were verily doing research um, on quality, predicting student outcomes, much less were they looking at traditionally underrepresented groups. And so um, with support from WCET, we were able to take on new efforts to identify evidence and research through a systematic review that was impacting student outcomes um, for racially minoritized students. We have a research review on our website. And then we also were able to continue our own research with funding from the Spencer Foundation before the pandemic started, but extra important now in online learning readiness. And so being able to identify um, what sorts of attitudes, um, behaviors, skills do students need coming into blended and online courses in order to ensure they're successful. And so, um, and so that was just another piece sort of of the equity puzzle there. So not only did our quality research become really important, knowing what we needed to do in our practice to improve student outcomes, but also understanding like, what can we be doing right now to improve equity in our courses and our programs and at our institutions? Um, because a lot of folks didn't realize there was research out there, not a great mm -hmm. amount of research, but there was research out mm -hmm. there to guide us and understanding things we could implement right away um, to remove some of those barriers for racially minoritized students and other traditionally underrepresented groups um, so that they're able to succeed. And so um, so that was sort of a second piece. And I know I'm just rambling on and I'll get to the blended piece. And I know you like the blended piece, but I'll I'll stop there for a bit. Hey, I like the equitable. I can get going. You know I, that. I know. I do know this. This is dangerous, the two of us talking together. Um, yeah, I like the equitable outcomes piece too. Um, as much as I like blended learning, we we spoke recently to uh, Katrina Ware about the practice of instructional designers in facilitating equitable outcomes through mm -hmm. you know the instructional design process. And and I think um, what you just shared, I remember reading um, one of your uh, research reviews where some of those findings. Uh, were presented, and I remember thinking you know, how powerful that is. You know, to see that that the um, what I think maybe we think of as sort of the general instructional design um, process and outcomes has particular salience for minoritized student populations, and I think I think that's that's really 
great to keep in mind because like from the conversation with Katrina, I think it'd be really easy for listeners to think, oh, I've got to do you know something super special different. Right. And that may be true to a point, right, to go further. But hey, just doing the work that you do every day has you know really important benefits. But yes, as you say, uh, as we begin to wrap up, um, you and I both love blended learning. Um, we've both been saying the same thing, although, you know, uh, credit, you've been saying it longer, I, I discovered. No, oh, I'm not um, sure. <laughs> I, think, I think so, because I think, I, think you, I think you said it in a published piece uh, before I stumbled along to the same concept, which is, you know, blended learning is the future now more than, more than ever. What... what is there an intersection between the work of data and that that belief in uh, the the future of blended learning? What what might you leave our listeners with uh, as a salient point as we begin to wrap up? Yeah, I think I've always been interested, right, in the social interaction, the human behavior with technology, and how. Um, that leads to these experiences that are meaningful and they're enjoyable and you have some sort of positive outcome from. And so, you know, when we launched, you know, we started Blended a, a very long time ago, like 20 years ago. Um, but if you teach face-to-face and you teach online and you teach Blended, there's just some sort of synergy there. Um, And speaking of our equity work, right, we learned that course design that we're already doing for effective learning, creating that structure, creating those activities leads to positive outcomes Mm -hmm. for all students, in particular for racially minoritized students. And then we also found from the research that hybrid and blended learning that is properly designed with structure, um, you know, to guide and scaffold students' activities Um, also positively influences outcomes, which we've known for a while, but now we also know in particular, it helps racially minoritized students. And so these are things that we've known um, for a while that, you know, creating a social system, right? Creating structure more meaningfully, um, planning interaction and activities, um, you know, it's sort of that social system, that, um, that sort of realm um, that we can mold and create into something really amazing. And I think that the key isn't technology. I think key mm-hmm. is always the social process. It's the mm-hmm. social, right? But I think that technology provides us affordances that we wouldn't otherwise have. So, so yeah. Yeah, no, that that's good. That's we could we could talk for another half hour on. I'm sure. <laughs> this 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 topic alone, let alone uh, others, and uh, you know, hey, we, we we need to have you back and and talk about additional uh, threads in the conversation. We won't wait so long as as we did between your first and second appearances. I'll see you in 2029. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be what we'll be doing. We'll be we'll be then it'll be like. You should really be preparing for that 20-year yeah. retrospective. <laughs> right, <on> exactly. <laughs> at that point. Well, it's been a delight talking to you, as it always is, Tanya. And on behalf of Tom, who will be joining us in the wraparound, and, and myself uh, right here and right now, uh, just thank you for the work that you do every day through data and in our broader field. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks for supporting our efforts. Well, Calvin, that was your interview with Dr. Tanya Justin. Indeed. Tanya's great, right? I mean, we're, yeah. we're lucky to have her in our field. 
Yeah, absolutely. There, there's probably a lot of different things that we could highlight um, mm-hmm. in this in this conversation. But sort of in the interest of time, is there is there something that jumped out at you that you'd like to start with? Oh gosh, um, you know, I I think we've alluded to this on the uh, on the podcast before, but I'll I'll keep it really simple and distilled and say that you know a theme um, that I heard again in uh, that conversation with Tanya, echoes themes that we've had, and it was also like talking to Shannon Riggs a little bit, design. Design is so important. You know, Tanya talked about the online course quality indicators, which is just a, a way of breaking down what it is to to intentionally design. And then she talked about that study with uh, that she did with Rachel Casadas, where their big takeaway is one of my favorite quotes is, Design is the most influential measure of instructional characteristics that potentially increases student outcomes. And then everything else in the conversation was just really about the, the impact of that kind of intentional design. Like it, it benefits everybody, but particularly uh, marginalized student subpopulations and so forth. Yeah, that was a theme that sort of uh, jumped out to me a little bit, this sort of focus on equity and you know, how can we, um, through through research, you know, ensure that our course designs are equitable and in, in serving those students who kind of have traditionally been been marginalized? I thought that mm-hmm. was a really interesting emphasis, kind of a um, you know underlying uh, you know catalyst for for this whole project, and at least in her mind, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I remember when um, the what became the data center was. <laughs> coalescing, you know, in the ether. And uh, the promise was great. uh, And the challenge was high. This idea of enabling institutions to share data, research findings in an apples to apples kind of way that through which we can um, synthesize findings that are that are more generalizable, that speak to more uh, scenarios. And that's not easy work, but it's important uh, work. And I, I think they've made some real strides there, but I've talked to her before off microphone and, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not as easy as some people might think that it would be. Yeah, well, it never is. I mean, it's the old duck swimming on the water, <laughs> looks calm on top and furiously paddling underneath, right? I think all good work is is like that. And um, and certainly what she's doing um, at UWM is, is, is really good work. Mm-hmm. So um, any sort of last thoughts before we kind of look at, uh, at landing our plane here? Um, again, a shout out. I mean, we've you've credited me many times uh, with this statement about blended learning. And as Tanya and I talked about, you know, we've both been saying it. Uh, technically, she's been saying it longer, but it's, it's nice to slide in here, too. Blended is yeah. the future now. More yeah, than you guys ever. did talk about that. And, and that is true. I mean, she has in for many years been kind of a, a driving force behind the OLC blended conference when it was mm-hmm. called that. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, a credit where, where credit is due. All right. Well, you know, thanks, Kelvin, for doing that interview with Tanya. And uh, thanks to Tanya for um, for taking the time to be back on, on TopCast. That was great. Mm-hmm. You want to try and wrap it up? Sure thing. Uh, perhaps I'll say that enabling the integration of online learning data across multiple institutions is not easy. But the result is worth the effort. 
we gain generalizable insights that enrich the field and ensure that students are benefiting from our collective work. How's that? That's good. Yeah, that's true. All right. So before we go, just a quick reminder that linked from each and every episode on whatever podcast platform you're listening to are show notes containing carefully curated resource links that pair well with the episode, like our coffee pairs well. If you're not checking out these links, you're definitely missing out. So, you know, check them out. Don't miss out. Check it before you wreck it. Maybe that'll be our new... I knew. Be sure to check the resources. So you can also find them online uh, at the TopCast website, which is topcast.online.ucf.edu. So awesome. Uh, thanks to uh, you, Kelvin, and to Tanya for that conversation. Until next time for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya. See ya.